Someone uh, said to me the other day, I did a wedding, and they asked me if I, if I ever get nervous, and I said, always. Because it is a, an awesome uh, responsibility to uh, be a representative of the King of Kings. But it's also an amazing privilege. And uh, I count it a joy to be able to speak to you here for, the, for my last time here in this building. And we're, we're advancing, we're going forward, and I believe God has a great uh, future for us. Somebody said, how do you feel about going portable? Well, we started portable. We were, our church was uh, living in the trunk of our car. And uh, my kids, uh, Kelly was about this tall at the time. And uh, everybody set up. We, we entered into a, an American Legion hall, and we, we would set up the chairs. We'd, sit, we'd clean up the cigarette butts and the beer that was left over from the night before. And, and we had church. And uh, uh, so going portable is, is something that I'm used to. Uh, but we do pray that God would lead us to our permanent residence as well. Would you, would you pray with me as we ask the Lord's blessing upon the word today? So, Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share your, your word with your people, to feed the flock of God which you've purchased in your blood. What an honor that is for me. And I pray that you would speak through me and encourage your people today and challenge your people today to be all that, God, you had purposed them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, the title of my message is Uncompromising Courage, and I, I really uh, poured over that, the, the, the title to make sure that it was uh, what I wanted to talk about. And, and yet I was thinking that there's a substitute title, Braveheart, because to me, having uncompromised courage is possessing a brave heart. Speaking of Braveheart, uh, let, me, let me just ask you by a show of hands, how many of you have seen William Wallace take the fight to the British for the cause of Scotland's freedom. Can I just see your hands? Actually, everybody just look around. Now, now, I just got good news for you, and I got some bad news. The good news is you're not that old, because uh, that took place in the 16th century. Do you real? Oh, I'm sorry, the 13th century. Do you realize that wasn't, that wasn't really William Wallace? That really was Mel Gibson playing William Wallace? You know, just kind of a teaser there. Uh, but you are older than you think because that happened 22 years ago. That hit the screens. Still one of my favorite uh, films of all times. It got 10 uh, nominations for Academy Awards. It won five, including Best Picture. And I want to take you to a scene uh, from, uh, from that film because I think it's, it's, it's uh, got a, a real uh, important message for us. And, and, and the scene is, be- is a conversation between a father and a son. They are descendants uh, of the King of Scotland. And uh, the King of Scotland has not been occupying the throne because, because Britain or England is, is uh, over, its, uh, over its land. Okay? And uh, the conversation goes like this. Father, the rebellion has begun. And uh, the father obviously had gotten word about what was taking place. There was this guy by the name of William Wallace. And, and, and he says... He says Dad, he doesn't have a title, yet he fights with such, with such courage and bravery. Hence the, the title of the movie, Brave Heart. And the, the father kind of smirks and, and laughs a little bit and says, it says I, I admire the, the, the man. It's easy to admire uncompromising courage, men of uncompromising courage. But know this, that 
Edward Longshanks is the most ruthless king that ever sat upon the throne of England, and there will be nothing of us left if we oppose him. This is what we will do. I will, I will oppose him in our lands in the north. You support him in our lands in the south. And I will gain English favor by doing so. Know this, that you are the 17th, Robert the Bruce. All 16 before you have lands and titles because we didn't rush into war. Now, then he says this. He says, compromise. Compromise is the sign of nobility. It is noble to compromise. To which I say, really? Really? To me, that's, that's code word for cowardice. Now, under certain circumstances, you know, it might be appropriate to compromise. You know, the public wants Congress to compromise, to get things done, to break the deadlock in, in Washington. Uh, in marriage, compromise is a necessity. This afternoon, my wife already told me she would like some Italian food, and I, I, I'm feeling more like Chinese. So if we kind of compromise and we go get chimichangas, no, no harm, in fact, I like to be chungers. But in marriage, compromise is okay. But I want you to know that compromise is the enemy of conviction. That when we compromise the word of God, we violate the word of God. There are no negotiables when it comes to righteousness. When compromise becomes sin, it will take us further than we want to go, and it will cost us more than we want to pay. In his book, Objections Answered, R.C. Sproul illustrates the peril of compromise by telling a story that, that some years ago in Germany, there was a Jewish family, a Jewish boy, had a great deal of admiration for his father. The father had the, the family centered around uh, the, 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 the Jewish traditions. Every Sabbath, they would take them faithfully to the synagogue and they, they, they would worship. But it was necessary for the family to move to another part of Germany where there was no synagogue, but there was in a small town a Lutheran church, and all of the best people of the town attended the Lutheran church. So the father made the announcement to the family, to their shock, that they were going to forsake their Jewish traditions and they were going to join the Lutheran church. The young boy was, was, was disillusioned, he was disappointed, he was he was angry, didn't know how to process this. And uh, that, that anger became bitterness because when they asked the question, why would we do this? The father said this. He says, it would be good for business. That anger stayed with that man for his entire life. In the process of time, he moved to England to study at university where he developed a philosophy and a worldview that was destined to change the world. He believed that religion was the opiate of the people and that men's lives would be much better lived without a belief in the existence of God. His name, Karl Marx, the father of communism. There's no way of knowing the amount of sorrow, suffering, pain, death as a result of that one little compromise which it caused. One of his disciples by the name of Joseph Stalin was responsible for the death of over 100 million people. So there's no way for us to measure that, that one act. The fact of the matter is that there is no such thing as a small compromise. 
that compromise had a rippling effect that affected generations and affected millions of people. I want you to think about this. Compromise cost, in the movie Braveheart, William Wallace's life and cost Scotland its freedom because it was an act of cowardice. But for the purpose of our study today, we're going to look at Israel and to see that compromise cost Israel its freedom as well. Now, what was their compromise? The compromise that led to the captivity of Judah, the, the, the 10,000 in the first taking away of captives were brought and made citizens of the Babylonian Empire. The temple was looted. The, the city of Jerusalem was burned and the wall was, was, was destroyed. What was their compromise? It's not like they completely walked away from the worship of Jehovah. They just simply added the mixture of a Canaanite deity called Balaam. And there were others as well. But, but there was that mixture now, in the ten northern nations, or the ten northern tribes, I should say, which was called Israel, if there was a division, Elijah the prophet rose up and, and, and spoke to the people to challenge them to come out of this mixture that was destroying them. He said, he said to them, how long will you be stuck between two opinions? Make up your mind whom you will serve. If Jehovah is God, serve him. If Baal is God, then serve him. And, you know, the the ten northern tribes never did recover from the captivity that that was begun by the Assyrians that brought them as slaves into their their land. You know, some people say that they love Jesus. But there's a mixture there because they also love the world and the things that are of the world. And as a result of that, that that mixture to God is is not something that he tolerates. Uh, Think of it like this. It's like, it's like loving lemonade and, and loving milk, but drinking from the mixture, not either one or the other. And, and it becomes noxious. And I know Jesus said it best when he said it like this. He said, you, you can't serve two masters. You will either love the one and despise the other. So this mixture of loving God and loving the world just doesn't work. I want you to think about this. So, so what was God to do? What was God going to do with this compromise? Well, the the 10, as I said, tribes from the north, they never recovered to the point where the scripture says he sent them prophets, he sent them messengers, but they despised his messengers. They persecuted his prophets until there was no remedy. That's one of the most fearful things I've ever read in scripture. There was no remedy. But there was a remedy for the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And that was that God raised up the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and they carried away captives to Babylon. And God was going to, in that process, through the book of Daniel, teach the people to, have, to stand in faith and also to be uncompromising in their love and devotion to the one true God. So we're kind of going to do a flyover, maybe about like 30,000 feet, and take a, take a look at the book of Daniel today, and, and we'll see the unmistakable message that God wants us to live by faith, And he wants us to live uncompromised lives. And this is what our takeaway will ultimately be. God is with us and God is for us when we refuse to compromise, when we are uncompromising. So here's Nebuchadnezzar, king. His strategy might be called somewhat ingenious because what he does is he takes away first the very best, the the educated of, of those that were in Israel. 
and he's going to incorporate them in his administration. He's going to get them to speak in the Jewish language to the Jewish people and convince them to be good citizens of Babylon, that it will go well with them if they simply are submissive and are good citizens of the Babylonian Empire. So here in chapter 1, we meet four characters. Daniel, we meet uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I, I, I like their Jewish names a lot better than Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. Well, we got out of bed. No, I, it's, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's something that stuck with me all these years. It's hard sometimes to remember his real name is not to bed we go, but to bend to go. All right, but anyway. The, the, these, these young men are probably in their teenage years. They're probably 15, 16 years old at the time. And so here's the first problem. Because they are now stewards of the king and are going to be used for propaganda purposes, they're going to be fed from the king's kitchen. But here's the problem. In the king's kitchen, you have food that's sacrificed to idols. Not only is it non-kosher food that is unlawful for them to eat according to the book of Leviticus, but these were, these were foods that were sacrificed to demon deities. And so the question is, are they going to compromise? Are they going to go with the flow? Are they going to, you know, take the attitude of let's not rock the boat? After all, we are captive. Th- th- these people can hurt us, right? Or are they going to stand based upon their conviction? So will they compromise or will they stand? So this is where we pick up in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved. Daniel made up his mind. Daniel had a commitment not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked politely the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. He takes a stand. And he asked for permission not to eat the meat that was sacrificed to idols. Now, the king's steward was responsible for their well-being. He was in charge of them. And, and if something went wrong with them, it was his head on the block. After all, Nebuchadnezzar had an investment in these young men and was going to use them, as I said, for propaganda purposes. I tell you what, while this sounds like a small issue, it really isn't a small issue at all. It is the foundation upon which an uncompromised lifestyle would be founded. I want you to know this, that if, that if they did not take their stand here in chapter 1, we would have never heard about Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would have just kind of slipped into oblivion just like, just like there were thousands of others of the Israelites that we, we, we have no record of. But these guys took a stand. And just as, just as a small compromise in a negative way can have a rippling effect and touch generations and millions, so a positive willingness to not compromise can have a rippling effect and inspire generations as well, to be uncompromising. Did you know that the Great Wall of China was 1,500 miles long? It was 30 feet high, 18 feet wide. Pretty impressive, right? Uh, Pretty impenetrable, so you would think. But in the first 100 years, the Great Wall of China was breached three times, not because it was penetrated, but because of a lack of moral clarity in the Guards who, for the purpose of a bribe, compromised and left the gates of the city unlocked or the gates of the wall unlocked. There is no adequate defense against a lack of moral integrity. 
And that's what's being tested right here in this first chapter. The moral integrity of these young men. And because they, they took a stand, now they're going to be tested in, in, in greater ways. N- now is a matter of life and death. Will they submit themselves and now not simply eat meat offered to idols, but will they bow down and bend their knee and worship to an idol itself? Now, I'll tell you what. In Daniel chapter 3, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put to the moral test of integrity. Will they compromise their conviction just to save their life? You know, it may even seem reasonable. And and I'll tell you what, there there are times when we're challenged, should I compromise or not? I I think we we hear a voice, and the voice is, be, be reasonable, you know? I mean, what's the big deal? Everybody's taking a knee. God knows my heart. He, he knows I don't believe in idols. You know, I mean, it's, it's either bow down or it's die. What good could I possibly be to the kingdom of God if I'm dead, right? You, you could reason your way into compromise, which is to reason your way into cowardice. Nebuchadnezzar has a, a God complex. He, he thinks he's God. He, he walks around his palace and he says, look at all that I have created. And he demands a little love and honor and worship from his subjects. And for that, he gives them an offer that they can't refuse. Either bow down to the image that I've made that kind of looks like me, uh, or be cast into a fiery furnace. So when Nebuchadnezzar finds out there are three upstarts in the kingdom that refuse to bow down, he is bent out of shape. And he calls them forth. And listen, he's got an investment in these young men. Right? And so his attitude is, they're not going to refuse me. I'm going to give them another opportunity to, to bow to the, to the idol and to worship. So we pick up then in Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. And this is the king speaking. He says, if you guys are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I don't know about you, but the prospect of being burnt alive, I mean, you know, there was a literal furnace there, large enough that you could, you could throw in these three young men. The, the idea of being, it's, it's terrifying to be burnt alive. You know, it's one thing to die, but it's another thing to suffer and then to die, right? I want, I want you to think about this. It, over the course of, of my ministry, over the, over the years, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was go to a hospital and pray for a burnt victim. I'll never forget one particular occasion. This man was burned over most of his body. His body s- swelled up two and a half times its size. He's put into a controlled coma because the pain is, the pain is unbearable. It's excruciating. The smell of burnt flesh, it's still present. It's like, it's like something that I could never, ever possibly forget. This is what these young men are facing. Bow down or die. But die in such an excruciating and horrible way. And, and what will they do? Will, will they compromise? Will, will they go with the flow? Or, or, or will they take a stand? And they take that stand. And if you know the story, as we will look at it, they take their stand and 
they are so courageous in their willingness to uncompromise that I believe that it's the kind that produces like-minded faith in others. You've got to love their response. Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. We know our God's there. There's nothing God cannot do. There's nothing too hard for God. He can save us. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. One way or the other, we're going to be rescued. But even if he does not. Now, now, now some people, you know, maybe call them from the hyper-faith hyper camp, would say, that, that's kind of wavering there. You know, you should just be sure God's going to... No, no, no. This, this is not wavering faith. This is faith no matter whether I live or whether I die. I am not going to compromise. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods and worship the image of gold you've set up. This is, this is boldness. You know, the Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one's pursuing This is not something you say to the guy who can turn you into a crispy critter unless your confidence is in God and your fear of the Lord is greater than your fear of man. So they take their stand. To them, they judged death would be better than than violating their love and devotion to the one true God. We will not compromise. It seemed better to them to suffer and to die rather than to compromise their devotion. So the king is beside himself. He's enraged by their refusal to bow down. They're so stubborn. And so the king irrationally orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. I mean, not that it needed to be heated seven times hotter. It's already a blazing furnace. But he's just bent out of shape. And I got to tell you, the men who threw in, the two soldiers who threw in the three young men into the flaming furnace, the backdraft of flames came back and turned them into crispy critters. But there was no hurt on these young men. In fact, the only thing that, that burned was the ropes that bound them, and there was not even the smell of smoke on their clothes. This is miraculous. And the king looks into the furnace and says, did we not throw three men into the furnace? How is it there's a fourth man and he has the appearance of a son of a God? What have I been saying is that God is with us. God is for us when we refuse to compromise. But this is so important. Let me make this one point right now. That, that the conviction of, of chapter one, not willing to eat meat sacrificed to idols played so much into this that had they compromised their conviction in in chapter 1, they would have never had the courage and the faith and the confidence to resist. Fear would have prevailed over their hearts in chapter 3. Third example from 30,000 feet, and that is of Daniel himself. Because Daniel was, was... had an excellent spirit, and he prospered no matter who was the king, whether it was the the Babylonians or the Medes or the Persians. Daniel is blessed by God because of of that that choice in in, in chapter 1. They will not compromise. 
So he's blessed no matter who the king is, right? And so those that were jealous of Daniel create a ruse to try to entrap Daniel so that they would have something to accuse him because in relationship to, to serving the king, they could find no fault in him except in the worship of his God. And so they come up with a flattery to the king and they say, the king, we, 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 we want you to sign this decree that can't be altered, right? It, it's got to be carried out. That, that no man should, should make a petition to any, any man or any God except you, O king. So they flatter the king and unbeknownst to him, he signs this decree and it really sets, sets the seal on Daniel's future. Because when Daniel finds out about it, this is what Daniel does in chapter 6, verse 10. Now, I'll tell you what. Before we look at that verse, let me say this. Daniel could have simply ran out the clock. 30 days is not a long time. Some of, you, some of us maybe haven't, haven't prayed the way we ought to in the last 30 days. But, and Daniel just could have ran out the clock, or he could, have, he could have prayed in secret, or he could have even prayed under his breath, you know. But he doesn't do that. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? And in spite the king's objection, he could, he could do nothing but carry out the order that was signed, which could not be changed. And so Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. And they seal up the den. What's going to happen to Daniel? Well, you know the story. God sends an angel and he shuts the mouth of the lions. Did you know that Hebrews 11 says that it was both faith that quenched the violence of fire and it was faith that shut the mouths of the lions because they put their trust in God. In fact, when, when, when the king in the next morning opens up the, 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 the den and he calls out to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, man of God, is your God able to save you from the lions? There's a moment of silence and up comes the voice of Daniel saying, King, live forever. The God whom I serve sent an angel and shut the mouth of the lions. And the scripture clearly says that Daniel was delivered because he put his trust in God. Now, let me tell you something. God is with us. God is for us when we're uncompromising. And that really is the issue. Not whether God delivers us or not, because there are occasions when the deliverance doesn't come, but we still refuse to compromise. Look look at Hebrews 11.35 with me, because there's another kind of faith that refuses deliverance, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. You want to be set free? You've got to renounce your faith in God. No, we won't do that. We, we, we will not compromise in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sworn in half. That's a reference to Isaiah the prophet who was stuffed into the hollow of a tree and then was sword in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some were destitute and oppressed. 
and mistreated. They were too good for this world. All these earned a good report or reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. God is with us. God is for us. When we're uncompromising, whether, whether we're delivered or whether things go south, and, and whether life gets it's hard or difficult or, or we don't accept that deliverance or, don't, or, or God has some other plan for us. You see, sometimes God delivers us from death. Sometimes God delivers us in death. But God is always good and always faithful. I say blessed is the man, the woman that has, has a history of God's intervention in their life in small matters because there will always be larger matters to challenge our faith. The New Testament is filled with examples of uncompromising courage in the face of persecution. The the early church was baptized in the fire of persecution. James and, I'm sorry, uh, John and and Peter are threatened not to speak or, or to teach about the resurrection or to fill Jerusalem with the name of Jesus, but they refuse. And so they're beaten, they're imprisoned, and they're taken out, and then they're beaten again. But they rejoice because they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. The Apostle Paul demonstrated uncompromising courage over and over again when he refused to compromise and water down the power of the cross or, or to dilute the, the gospel with good works. You know, Paul could have been treated like a rock star by his Jewish brethren had he, had he only compromised Go ahead, preach the gospel. We'll accept that. But also, you've got to preach circumcision. You've got to preach the observance of the laws of Moses. Paul refused to do that. And as a result of that, he was hounded from city to city to city. He was stoned. He was beaten with rods. He was, he was whipped with lashes. He was despised rather than becoming that rock star because of compromise. But you know what i got to tell you? I got to tell you that the ultimate inspiration for me, and I believe for all of us, the ultimate inspiration for uncompromising courage is Jesus himself. Jesus who, who, who forsook the comfort of heaven for the confinement of a womb, who walked away from the treasures of, of heaven to embrace poverty as a peasant, who walked away from the adoration of angels and the worship of angels to be spit upon and to be struck upon the face, to have his beard plucked out. That is uncompromising courage in the face of suffering. In fact, the suffering of Christ is only, is only compounded by the mystery of what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane, where there we see, we see the man, Christ Jesus, Fully God, fully man. But we see, we see Jesus sweating great drops of blood. And he prays the prayer, not my will, but your will be done. The ultimate no compromise prayer. And he looks into the furnace of the wrath of God, which is heated seven times hotter. And it moves him, it shakes him to the point where he stumbles and he falls to the ground. And Father sends an angel to strengthen him because he's so weak at that point physically. But he still prays, not my will, but your will be done. That, beloved, is uncompromising courage. 
uncompromising courage for him to lay out his hands and his feet and to be crucified, voluntarily laying down his life for us. Uncompromising courage inspires uncompromising devotion. Uncompromising courage inspires uncompromising devotion. The violence is the means of our peace. The suffering is the means of our healing. His death gave way to life. The cross is the message of mercy and forgiveness. But I got to ask the question, Jesus, why would you subject yourself to being spit upon? You, you created this universe. Why, why would you submit to that? There could only be one word. Now, one word is found in God. And it's not something that God has, it's something that God is. And that word is love. Because God doesn't have love as much as God is love. It's part of his intrinsic character and his nature. To find a way to overcome the obstacles of our sin. To find a way to to bridge that gap between the fallenness of man and the holiness of God. By causing his son to not only peer into the furnace of the wrath of God, but to receive and become a curse for us as the wrath of God was set on fire but did not consume him. It's love. Like the grace of God that is, that is undeserved and unearned and something that we could never even potentially have 10,000 years from now. It's something that is part of the proclivity of God to show kindness to sinners like us that we don't deserve anything from God. We owe everything to the amazing love of God that's been lavished upon us. And I want you to know, God does not love men because Christ died for them. Did you know that? God does not love men because Christ died for them. No, Christ died for us because God loves us. It's in the right order. If you ask Daniel, if you ask Peter, if you ask Paul, you know, what was it that inspired you to, to have uncompromising courage? I believe they would say they were confident that Yahweh loved them, that Jehovah loved them. Even Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, an angel greets Daniel and says, Oh, Daniel, man of God, greatly beloved. Paul the Apostle would write that Jesus gave himself for me, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. They were confident in the love of God. And more than anything else, I want you to leave here today confident in the love of God, that God loves you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I I want you to see that there is a Savior who loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. Amen? If you're facing a difficulty, I want you to know this. If you're facing temptation, if you're facing some area where, where you're being challenged to compromise, I want you to know this, that, that there is no fear in love. Most of the times, as I said earlier in the, in the beginning, in the introduction, that it's code word for cowardice or fear grips a person, and so they, they make their compromise. But I want you to know this, that there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Uncompromising courage inspires uncompromising devotion. I'll close basically with, with, with this thought that there was a, a legend 
that there was a, a mouse that was terrified by, by a cat. And so the magician agreed that he would turn, transform the mouse into a cat, that which he had feared. And so for a time, the cat was okay, but it, 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 it met a dog. And when it met a dog, it was now afraid of the dog. And so the magician agreed to change the, the, the mouse-turned-cat into a dog. And now, now everything was okay for the dog until the dog met a tiger. And this time, the, the, the magician agreed. He changed, he changed now the dog into a tiger until the tiger came complaining to the magician that he met a hunter. And the magician said, I'm going to change you back into a mouse because though you have the body of a tiger, you still have the heart of a mouse. The application is really quite clear that no matter how we try to change our outward circumstances, there will always be some issue to be afraid, to, to, to fear, to compromise. That it's a matter of the heart and not a matter of the outward that is so important. God wants you and I to have a brave heart. In fact, last week when Pastor Doug was speaking from Ephesians chapter 6, he said it's a command. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not be strong in you, because in, in, in me I'm weak. But in God, I can discover that there's a strength that's beyond me, that there is an uncompromising courage that can come from outside of me. Well, you know, there's a verse in Joshua chapter 1 that could be spoken to, to every single one of us. It can be spoken to Anthony, to Brendan. It can be spoken to Ron. And, and it's this. Have I not commanded you to be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wheresoever you go. What have I been saying? God is with us. God is for us when we are uncompromising. Last Sunday, about this same time, I think, the unthinkable happened in a little church in a little town in Texas when people were face-to-face with pure evil. And a mother saw the potential of seeing her own children perish as bullets were flying. She covered her children. She put her life in exchange for the life of of her two children, and she saved her two children from certain death. I watched an interview a couple of days later of a friend who spoke about the courage of this mother and said that she had always said something like, I would always lay down my life for my children. She made up her mind that she would die for her children way before that Sunday service ever took place. Because that mother loved her kids so much, she was willing to die to save them. Can you not hear the echo of God's heart in that? That I love you so much that I'm willing to die to save you. How could anyone not accept the the free gift of God of salvation that is offered to us in the gospel. Jesus said, anyone who will come into me, I will in no wise cast out. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is the free gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should. But 
How could anyone refuse such a tremendous offer? God wants you and I, beloved, to have the courage to stand for righteousness, to stand for that which is the Word of God. If you're here this morning, I want to just pray. But I also want to make you an offer. If you're here this morning and you're not in a fellowship relationship with Christ, let's just pray. Father, I pray that you'd move on the hearts, oh God, Lord, of your people today, those that will even become your people today because of a transaction that will take place. I pray that something that I've said this morning will touch their heart, touch the cords of their heart to draw them to a faith relationship with you, to trust in you that you have been their sacrifice. You've been their substitute. You, you, you can give them eternal life to as many as would receive you. And if that applies to you right now as I'm praying, would you just pray along with me? It's not the words that save, it's Jesus who saves. Just say something like this. Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me on my behalf. I believe you died and rose again from the dead. I trust in you. For those of you who are here and, and you're in the midst, of, you're in a hard place right now. There's some area of, of being challenged to compromise. You're not sure, should I go in this direction? Should I go in that direction? And, and, and that reason, that voice of reason is saying, go with the flow. But God is saying, do not compromise my son or my daughter. Take a stand. And I will be with you. And God will be for you when you're uncompromising. Amen.